Good evening. Welcome to Snell Nation. Uh, this is going to be a little, a little different. Um, not so much off the, off the cuff, um, but I, I have a special guest here, um, a uh, Dan Young, who has an extensive background, um, and I'll let him do uh, just uh, a lot of give his background. He knows it better than me. But I found it very fascinating. I'm starting to learn a little bit the the map of life and, and health insurance and things like that. Um, so uh, we talked a little bit uh, uh, behind the scenes in the background, and we felt it'd be a good opportunity for us to uh, do somewhat of a collaboration and uh, share some of the wealth of knowledge. Uh, so, you know, I'll go ahead, and I believe I've said enough. And uh, Dan, if you want to just give a little a little background uh, about yourself and um, and uh, your, your, the medical side as well before we really dive into the topic. Absolutely. Thank you for uh, taking the time. I'm, I'm glad to be on uh, Snell Nation. I, I really enjoy your podcast. I uh, uh, have been blessed to be in and around the natural uh, wellness profession or the traditional health care, as I like to call it, uh, since 1974. And just to give some backstory, uh, watching some of my experiences uh, with my grandparents, how chronic illness, uh, you know, things they've had for long periods of time, uh, seemingly not, you know, benefit the way we would have liked um, with the modern medical approach, uh, the, the primarily the pharmaceutical uh, approach, along with, you know, certain, you know, surgical procedures. And it never really restored or gained any type of uh, results that we had hoped for and so my father, who at the time was in 74, was a building contractor, actually by profession, became fascinated with, well, what could we do? What, could, what kind of responsibility could we take personally for, you know, maintaining good health rather than succumbing to some kind of disease uh, and having to go to a specialist and be diagnosed and then mm -hmm. medicated and things of that nature? And so that started in 1974, my actual professional, uh, you know, research and involvement with the industry didn't really start kicking off until about 1985. Um, and our clinic that we've had in Wyoming uh, didn't actually open until 1998. So we really had kind of a, you know, a 20 plus year background in actually, you know, doing things for ourselves, diet, lifestyle, stress reduction, movement, okay, the, the, the four key things that most anybody can benefit from. And, and what's happened for us uh, uh, since 1998 until this moment uh, in Wyoming has been, has been really fascinating. And, and a very, it's a strong educational, uh, you know, path that we've been on watching what's happened, the trend, the patterns, not anecdotal stories about people actually restoring their health, but true patterns of restoration uh, that they don't need to run to, you know, a medical doctor every time they sneeze uh, or, or have a, you know, have a headache, let's take a drug. And so, um, and then unfortunately in America, that seems to be kind of the, the norm. Uh, it's very, very common uh, that people, you know, seek that kind of care. And, and we've just found a very strong um, uh, alternative uh, natural health does work and it works uh, very, very well when applied properly uh, and not to rule out ma modern medicines, um, you know, their, their contribution to health. Obviously, I mean, they, they perform miracles every day. Nobody would ever 
dispute that in the terms of, you know, emergency medical care and things of that nature. But when it comes to how are we doing as a nation dealing with chronic concerns? And that's really what we as a clinic have focused on for for the past 20 years. And as a result, we went from from two people in our office to now uh, over 10 people uh, fully employed and working in this field. And we see about 4,000 people a year come through our doors uh, from all over the country. So it's been an amazing, amazing journey. And I feel, you know, I feel like I'm just getting started. Like I'm so passionate about the possibilities. And I love what you talk about in your, uh, in your podcast about, you know, creating a curiosity and an awareness uh, with having meaningful discussions. And, and that's really why I wanted to reach out to you. And I'm glad we're having this collaboration. Well, I'm, I'm glad to have you here. And it, it sounds like uh, what, what you're doing or, or what your, uh, your business or organization is doing is just taking a holistic approach uh, to yes. healthcare. That's, that's what it sounds like. Yeah, that's one of the terms that's very common is holistic. And, and there's other common terms like functional medicine, uh, naturopathic. And that's what I am actually is, is uh, I'm board certified nationally as, as a naturopathic doctor. And uh, and have been since uh, 2004, and uh, and so our our approach really is quite unique in that we position people to get well. You know, one of the things that was a, a bullet point for discussion, at least for me, was a lot of people think that the practitioner's job is to get them well, and the reality of it is is that our our experience says strongly that our job is to position people to get well. Well, that kind of takes on a whole new dynamic and it requires kind of stretching the mindset a little bit about personal health care and, and personal health and how to achieve it. And, and, and we call it structured flexibility. Everybody needs pretty much the same thing, but how we apply it, how they use it in terms of diet, lifestyle, supplementation, uh, boosting their immune system, detoxification, um, things of that nature, food, food combining. I mean, all these things come together and they have to be specifically tailored to the individual. And, and so we're, we're really focused under, yeah, you could say we fall under the umbrella, I guess, in terms of holistic care. Um, but I think the expression of that term, I think we've, we're onto something that's a quite a unique approach. Well, and I like that the, of course, uh, I've mentioned this before about that, that personal responsibility and, you know, and, and that empowerment um, that, that comes from uh, what it sounds like from, from your approach. And I feel like if, you know, if I came to you and I had some sort of element, I wouldn't necessarily be a, uh, I guess you could say a, a helpless patient and be more of a, uh, a collaboration. And, you know, we're working together. You're empowering me with, with knowledge in a particular area where I may have a weakness and we find something that um, is isn't necessarily, um, I would say, like uh, long term, you know, or, or like a medication uh, per se, but just and, and I love like when I saw, you know, nutrition and exercise and, you know, and, and I saw those things. I'm like, oh, that, that that's outstanding. That's exactly where my mind goes whenever I feel some sort of ailment. So, you know, I, I, I love that approach. and I, I love that empowerment that comes from that. Yeah, the, the, the key word that you touched on is very important is called collaboration. You know, I can't tell you how many times 
clients have shared with me over the years. And again, not an anecdotal uh, type experience, but truly a pattern where, hey, I feel like I'm going to be helped and I'm being listened to. And I, I, I jokingly, but also on a serious note, I tell people, you know, the smartest doctor in the room is lying on the table. And they kind of look at me and and I said, when we do your evaluation, we use a very non-invasive neurological evaluation to determine stress patterns, what's causing them and how to clear them. And that's where their program co really comes from. It's, it's designed by the person for the person. And I'm kind of just along as a collaborative guide to position them over time to develop the lifestyle that their body needs in order to heal. Everybody, you and I, everybody, we create a lot of influence on our environment that impacts our body's ability to heal or not heal. And I call it, I, I, I you know, lovingly refer to it as identifying the blind spots or the neglects, right? We all have blind spots um, that like when I share a piece of information with someone about, you know, proper food combining, uh, as an example, their eyes widen and they're like, wow, I didn't realize that if I you know, separated starches and proteins more in my daily meals that I might have a better digestive experience. Okay, cool. Or from a neglect standpoint, we all know we should be drinking more water. Most people are in a chronic state of dehydration. And so, you know, water consumption, developing the habit, the discipline, um, you know, the, 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 uh, the lifestyle uh, to, to achieve that is, is really what we're after. And it takes several months uh, to position people to have these new lifestyle habits or disciplines and and to follow that up and kind of close on that point you know it, it takes uh, time for people to develop uh, you know these the consistency not perfection we don't look for perfection I I do food logs I have for many years to share with my clients so that they can see what I eat uh, on a regular basis and and they'll see that I'm about 90 to 95 percent compliant with a very a wholesome, nutritious, uh, low uh, processed sugar type diet, good water intake, that type of thing. And, and so I don't expect anybody to achieve more than 80 or 90% uh, after doing this for several months themselves, but it's the consistency and treating their health like a marathon and not a sprint. Uh, and that's the mindset that has to be developed. And unfortunately, most people come to us and they're under this this, you know, this misguided perception that if I take the pill for the ill, I'm fine. And that just never plays out in the long run to really position them to have, uh, you know, vibrant health. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So when, when you mentioned that about medications and, and that mindset that people have, it, you know, it, it kind of segues perfectly into uh, first bullet point here on just, you know, how did modern medicine get this way or how do we reach this point I, I have some thoughts but you know i have a feeling that you, you've got you've got a little more a little more to uh, throw on the table <laughs> well you know again I, that's one of the reasons i reached out for a collaboration because you and i are you know there's no such thing as anything cut in stone and let's play around and look at this diamond if you will from you know this multifaceted diamond from multiple angles and really draw some some well-educated and researched conclusions and so I always refer people back, the, the, a few clients over the years who have really said, I want to dive into this and really search this out. And, and the first thing I would suggest is that people really look at our history from about 1910. 
1910, a teacher, an educator by the name of Abraham Flexner developed uh, and was, was commissioned uh, to travel the United States. And, and after a little over two years, visiting each state and their educational system regarding health care, he was able to put together the Flexner Report. And it's very easily uh, obtained online as a PDF. Um, and really, in essence, what he did was he was looking at it from an educator's standpoint. He didn't. Now, he's not a scientist and he was not a medical doctor. He was not a practitioner. He was an educator. And so he looked at it through an educator's set of eyes to find out how to position modern medicine in a, a situation of academia to be the end all be all approach for healthcare in America. And as a result of that particular report, after his two years of traveling the United States, what happened was is that if you were a school or a college, uh, a university or a trade school back in, in, the, in 1910, and if your curriculum didn't quite match up to what was the guidelines for the Flexner Report, then you were put under some pretty tough scrutiny in terms of continuing to receive funding or accreditation. And so that may sound well and good conceptually, but the outcome was is that modern medicine was able to position the universities to teach a certain curriculum, uh, indoctrination really, uh, and mindset about the pharmaceutical model being the end-all, be-all, best-all approach for all chronic illness and that nothing else really uh, was beneficial. Uh, it really, you know, didn't have the science behind it. Uh, it wasn't, uh, you know, scrutinized heavily by the FDA. But what we've learned in recent, uh, uh, the last several months, is that the FDA, under certain situations, won't scrutinize anything. They'll uh, allow vaccines and things of that nature to hit our market, which is a totally other, you know, kind of a totally other topic. But, but the point is, is that when you there's only two ways to have the tallest building in town in really any industry one focus on building your building and with efficacy and and proof and results and credibility over time uh and or you can run around and tear everyone else's building down and in essence this is unfortunately what the flexner report accomplished uh back in 1910 1912 uh, was it basically was a, a tool, an instrument to eliminate the educational process and, and kind of restrict freedom of choice at the university and, and vocational school level so that people could learn about these other, these other approaches and, and, and have them be a meaningful part of their decision-making process for their own health. Interesting. And, and that actually makes me think uh, back to uh, there was a book I read called um, The uh, Rockefeller Medicine Men. Mm, it was published yes. in 1940 and there was some there were some reprints. Um, but there's a, a section in there where actually it talks about uh, Abraham uh, Flexner and the chain reaction that came from his. Well, they, they referred to him as visits, but I believe it was more <laughs> like a, a, assessments. Uh, and, <laughs> yes. And he went, he went across the country, and it was like 166 um, uh, medical schools um, at that time. Yes. And from, you know, 1910 to, to 1915, it decreased. I think it was, uh, went from 166 to 133. Then it yeah. dropped again from 133 to 104. And then I believe it was 
50 years after that, by 1930, it was only 76 schools of medicine that remained. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it was they it was a collaboration between the American uh, Medical Association, uh, Rockefeller and Carnegie and um, and all that the, the philanthropic uh, circle there that yeah. narrowed the focus of, of yes. medicine, I believe. Yes, 100 percent. You're absolutely right. And it continues today to this day. And and, you know, we've seen it's and this is just a perception based on you know recent events but it seems that the uh, the ability to to for lack of better words inflict that viewpoint on people has become even stronger and stronger and because we and here's the thing because most people don't have a, a, a properly expanded frame of reference to make a better informed decision um, they, you know, they say, well, this is the way it is. This is our, our healthcare system, which I refer to as more of a disease management system, uh, in America. And that's just the way it is. And that's what we're going to go along with. And they have no other frame of reference to look at this diamond from a different angle and look at it from a different facet. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, no. I, and you can apply that to so many other things where, you know, um, I was talking to someone about about taxes and it was just like well you just have to do it you know it's like because you've done it for so long and it's it's become a bit of a tradition almost like voting it's a tradition and it's passed down from generation to generation that it's hard to to see outside of that spectrum where i refer to it as the 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 approved spectrum of, of opinion and analysis so yeah <laughs> it, it takes a lot to pull us uh, us folks away from that <laughs> yeah it does and and again because part of the part of the requirement is to take on personal responsibility and mm -hmm. uh, you know i'm i'm a real fan of character education i'm a real fan of of the term character education and the character education models strongly suggest that you know if we want to change if we look out in our societies and we look in different areas right and we look at the different groups that have sprung up over the years that you know they want to have a voice and i and i appreciate that and i respect that but from a standpoint of character education you know to change an environment or to change a community to change our home first and foremost and then change our communities and then our towns and our states and our country it kind of starts with personal responsibility of character education and going in in these different directions in a meaningful way that not only does it benefit me, Dan Young, to do certain things for myself, but then, oh, by the way, when Sir Thomas and I sit down and have a conversation, now we get to benefit each other. So then it expands mm -hmm. into being something a little more impactful. People are going to listen to you and I's conversation down the road, and maybe that'll bring them some value as well. But it starts with personal responsibility that I'm going to have uh, you know, I'm going to be researching and looking into these things from a, the perspective of what can I do to help me so that I can bring more value to others instead of, you know, trying to force, you know, change on a bigger scale quickly. What am I doing to take care of my character? Um, and and healthcare is one of those things. Personal health care is, is one of those things that qualifies for, for developing my own character. Mm -hmm. And that, it could be contagious, uh, that, that curiosity. And yes. um, because when we first started uh, talking about coming together to do this, it triggered something when you uh, mentioned in an email about the Flexner Report. I'm like, I, I know I've heard that from somewhere. <laughs> and I had to look back. I'm like, ah, there it is. 
you know, and then I started reading more and like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I haven't touched this book in, I think, maybe 10 years or something like that. Um, <laughs> but it, 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 it's contagious. And I just kept digging and digging. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And it was just awakening just a lot of things. So, you know, it it is uh, it can be contagious. Personal, yeah. The personal responsibility bug, you know, and, and that and that curiosity, you know, it, it, it's a it's a beautiful thing. So, yeah, you know, I, I appreciate really that. <laughs> Yeah, you know, Harry Truman was quoted as saying one time that the only thing new about the only thing new in this world is the history we haven't read about yet. Mm. And and I think that there's a lot that we can learn that will benefit the individual, that will benefit the family, the husband and wife, the children, the grandkids, our communities, our families as a whole. I mean, there's so much, like you say, that can be contagious and have an empowering ripple effect as people pay attention to these things. And it's not hard. It takes some effort. It takes some time, right? You invested some time. You found the book. Oh, yeah, right? And now I'm reminded of a piece of history that I was already exposed to. And how can I bring that into the current time and, and apply some of that value and, and share it into the future? Mm -hmm. and, and now that, you know, we've uh, kind of beat up uh, modern medicine, uh, just, just, a, just a hair, you know, I <laughs> You know, let, let's talk about the, uh, the the bright spots or just, you know, can, can you tell me just some some uh, some areas where modern medicine shines and, and sparkles a little bit? You know, there's no question that in the 20 minutes or so that you and I have been speaking, there's probably been dozens, if not hundreds of people's lives saved throughout our country because an emergency medical pro uh, professional knew the right procedure, the right medication the right scalpel, you know, you know, uh, uh, skill to apply to saving a life. So nobody can dispute that drugs and scalpels save lives. Okay, that's a concept. That's a principle um, that that is just it's 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 undisputed. Okay, and I and I really appreciate that. However, when you take the toolbox, if you will. And you limit that toolbox to only drugs and scalpels. And then you take the light and you shine that, those two tools on the chronic illness uh, conditions of that people have, heart disease, insomnia, allergies, type 2 diabetes. And you say, well, it's either drugs or scalpels that will work in that arena. It's, and it's now, now we get into an area where we're shining light on the miserable failure that a 3.8 or $3.7 trillion expenses annually, and one out of every four of those dollars apparently is being allocated right now for type 2 diabetes, which science has proven, history has proven, and not from an anecdotal standpoint, but from a true trended pattern, that type 2 diabetes is 100%, 100% correctable, if the person will take responsibility for making adjustments to diet, lifestyle, stress, and movement, if they will take personal responsibility, that's been 100% proven time and time again. But yet we spend one out of every $4 of our current multi-trillion dollar expense in America to treat that particular expression of illness. And so that's why I came up with the term and and I'm in the process of getting funding for a documentary around, you know, healthcare in America. Is it really healthcare or is it just disease management? Let's examine the record and let people be the judge.
Mm-hmm. Well, and there was a, uh, a comedian, uh, Chris Rock, who uh, did a bit where he talked about healthcare, and uh, at least <laughs> in the late '90s, and he talked about how there there's no money in cures. There's there's only money in medicine. Yes, you know. So he goes on a bit of a spiel about just how you know a lot of our products are designed to just sort of just string us along, string us along, and, and kind of carry us until the next new product comes out. Yeah, you know. So. Yeah, and that's the sad side of it. Um, I, I know for me personally, I had, uh, this was six years ago, I was dealing with uh, viral meningitis mm. and I didn't know anything about it. I just know I was just starting to feel weak and, and sick and that sort of thing. And I uh, went to the went went to see a doctor. Uh, he gave me some recommendations and I, I didn't listen. And I was doing some long distance running, that sort of thing. And I went to do a half marathon, uh, actually the Cleveland half marathon. And okay. I, I passed out at my hotel and I had to be taken to the hospital, you know? So it, it was one of those moments where I thought back, like, okay, I really, that doctor, I could tell he actually cared and was trying to help me. And he wasn't, it wasn't a like, here, take this pill and get out. You know, yeah. it was more like, Hey, here's what you need to do. You know, it's more, it was more preventative focus, which was sure. uh, surprising, but um, it was, it was definitely a bright spot for me personally. Yes. And I love the wording that you use just now. And you use two words that are really can be can be a focal point for personal responsibility. You use the word cure. And by the way, I think I did see that Chris Rock skit. I think it was I think I did see that. It was probably I think it was really good. And then you you finished up with using the word preventative. Okay, so let's examine just those two things really quickly, because I thought I find it fascinating that you use those words. There's no such thing as a cure because there's always going to be a long-term form of activity that the patient has to engage in. Now, do I want to engage in taking Lipitor for life, which by the way has some nasty neurological side effects, neuropathy of the feet being number one, and in most cases they get it, or do I want to engage in a preventative uh, activity on a regular basis, which means I'm going to have to develop new disciplines of what I eat and drink and, and how I move and rest and deal with stress. So the cure approach is to take the pill and I get to do whatever I want and perpetuate the environment my body can no longer heal in. Or do I want to take a preventative approach? Because they're both long term, but one has potentially some nasty side effects and the other one the side effect is good health so you know either way you know i've got a choice to make either invest time now in in those disciplines for prevention uh to position myself to perform as well as i can for as long as i can or do i want to you know take the pill uh and maybe potentially take more pills down the road to cover up the side effects of the first pill and take that path. Either way, I'm going to have to invest time and I'm going to have to invest money and I'm going to have to invest my health. So which investment do I want to make? Do I want to invest in what modern medicine says is the cure, take the pill for life or prevention, develop a meaningful lifestyle for life? Mm. I definitely uh, see that. Now, you know, my, my grandfather was, was a diabetic and he was, uh, on uh, insulin shots and, and all that. And, mm-hmm. and he uh, saw a, an unconventional 
one would say unconventional doctor. And he focused on, on nutrition and exercise, that sort of thing. And my, my grandfather started to watch what he was eating, uh, a, a lot of just fatty foods, a lot of fast foods. Um, he cut back on those things. He dropped about 50 pounds. Wow. Um, he started walking more, started, started just uh, caring more about fitness. And he looked happier. Um, he looked healthier. And he didn't need those insulin shots. Now, I'm no doctor. Right. Um, but he, <laughs> that was the path he chose sure. and he, he was happier. I guess that was the big thing I saw and just yeah. the overall, the aura his just overall look, his whole yeah. demeanor changed. So, um, it, it's definitely a beautiful thing. You know, it's, I'm, I'm, you're touching on some really great, great reminders for me. You know, I, I have, uh, I have a young lady, her name was uh, Jan Mason and I can use her name publicly. She's, she's all over my, my Facebook, my YouTube, uh, in the past, she's on my podcast. We interviewed her and she was 73. She was on three different medications for type two diabetes. Her story simply goes like this. She called her doctor after being on these medications and feeling lousy. She says, I want to get off the medications. I want to get my health back. And the doctor basically was, was kind, but just said, well, Jan, let us know how, you know, you make out with that. And, and uh, so she changed her diet. She lost over 50 pounds. She got rid of all the medications. Her A1C dropped from over nine to under 5.6 or 5.7, which is where the markers are suggested they should be. And here's what she said at the end of the interview, though. She looked at me and she goes, Dan, I feel great. And I've got my vibrancy back and my life back. But she says, I'll always be a type two diabetic. I said, Jan, what do you mean? She said, cause it was a kind of, you know, I've been, this was only two or three, four years ago. Um, and so it kind of took me by surprise because uh, I had heard something new, right? It was something like a new twist, a new perspective, which is why I love your podcast. It just forces us to be curious. And I said, Jan, what do you mean? She says, she says, well, Dan, she says, I'll always be a diabetic because I now know what I did that positioned me to become a diabetic. And if I go back to that, I will recreate the environment, internal or external, both that's going to position my body to say, hey, you're a type two diabetic again. And, and the other thing too, regarding your grandfather you touched on, it's really a good point, is when someone comes to me and says, Dan, I got this terrible insomnia, I'm just exhausted, and it's just, can you help me with the insomnia? And I says, I will if you'll tell me what the insomnia has taken from you. And they say, well, what do you mean? It's like, well, Clearly, your quality of life and your quality of, of experience and your vibrancy is not what you want it to be. What has insomnia taken from you? And then their eyes kind of light up and they go, oh, well, I can't spend time with my kids as I want. I love to, I used to love to go hiking. I can barely get out of bed, you know, or because I'm trying to I'm always tired and I can't sleep. And so I'm always kind of trying to rest. And I said, well, when you anchor your personal improvement on what this is going to add back to your life rather than the, you know, the, the effort and the new disciplines you're going to have to embrace to get rid of insomnia. Right. And when you start focusing on what getting rid of the insomnia is going to add back in terms of the quality of your life, well, that's a whole different perspective and way to look at that diamond again uh, from a different angle. And, and uh, it'll pull you through the tough times. It'll pull you through the times when you're, you know, you're out to eat and you're making different choices. Although, boy, that cheesecake looks really good. You know, you're, you're making different choices for yourself. And 
And so, uh, you know, so that's awesome to hear about your grandfather that way. That story reminded me of, uh, of my little Jan Mason gal. But, it, and sometimes that's, that's what it takes is that just that, that change in your, in your mindset and the way you approach a problem and you can apply it to just about anything. And, yes. you know, I, I know with me, I had, uh, some, some dental issues, you know, you know, the occasional cavity. And it wasn't until, you know, I, I had to go in and a, uh, had to have a root canal and it was not a pleasant experience. And I looked at that and I'm like, do I want to go through this again? <laughs> no. <laughs> so let's see, what do I need to do? I need to floss. I need to do this, this, you know? And I, I sort of, I changed my, uh, my behavior, my, my routine around a little bit and uh, life turned out a, a bit better for me. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's that. It goes back to that pleasure pain principle, right? It's, mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting to me that most people will do more to avoid pain than they will to pursue pleasure. Um, I'm trying what I, where I can, when I can to implement the other side of the coin. Sure, you can do this just to avoid pain, but what's going to pull you through the drudgery of you know, practicing the basics day in and day out, maybe someday seeing more results than others, but what's going to pull you through that is anchoring your mindset to the pleasure you're going to receive at the end, that you're not going to have the insomnia anymore, that you're going to be able to maintain, you know, healthier teeth longer and not go through that experience, you know? And, and uh, so, yeah, it's kind of that pleasure pain principle that we've heard about. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Now I want you to tell me a little bit about this uh, Bermuda, Bermuda triangle of uh, modern medicine. And before you do though, <laughs> I, I'm going to, I'm going to take a swing at it. I'm going to give, I'm going to, I'm take an amateur, an amateur swing. I'm going to take a 1994 Michael Jordan playing professional baseball swing at it. But it, it, so it's referring to um, advancements in medical techniques and medical technology that falls between the, the gaps left by uh, holes in policy, things like that in three key agencies, the center, uh, the centers for uh, Medicare and Medicaid services, CMS, Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, and the uh, National Institutes of Health, NIH. Am I am I in the ballpark or am I way you, off? You are definitely in the ballpark, and you did get one of them that I that I've had experience with, and that's the FDA. Uh, the other is Big Pharma, and then the third side of the triangle, the Bermuda Triangle of Health, is the American Medical Association. Mm. Did most people don't realize, and that may have been mentioned in the Flexner Report or back in that era, when the AMA first was formed, they allowed anybody to join. They allowed anybody. If you're a naturopath, an herbalist, a massage therapist, a chiropractor, I mean, if you're practicing anything in the healing arts, we'll take you as a member. And they did that to fund their organization. And then as the AMA got growing stronger and stronger and stronger, they became, as you said earlier, about going from 176 medical schools down to 70 plus schools. They became very focused and very tunnel visioned as to who could be a member of the AMA. In fact, they gained so much clout that they can pretty much dictate to a medical doctor if you will or will not practice a certain way. Uh, along with uh, Big Pharma, we have to put slash the insurance companies because in this country, because of a disease management mindset, we have insurance quality dictated care. And, and, and go with me on this for just a second, because I know you'll know of experiences yourself personally or family or friends 
who have experienced this. So this is, again, not anecdotal. This is not a one-time blip of an anomaly. This is a pattern with insurance-driven quality of care. The insurance company tells you your premium's going up and your coverage is going down. If you want to offset that, you can come with more out of pocket. And here's the only people that you can see as our providers. Now, you go see the provider and the provider may or may not recognize that you would benefit from a different form or a different approach to your needs health-wise. But under the, uh, under the fear, and this is truly fear, of losing their providership with the insurance company, they cannot go on record as referring you to that other approach. So we have an insurance dictated quality of care governed by big pharma, FDA and the AMA. That's what we're dealing with. Mm. That's fascinating. Now, the, the, that takes me back to the, that root canal uh, that I mentioned uh, earlier. When you, were, when you were talking about health, uh, the health insurance and health insurance industry, um, I found myself in a situation where you know, I was paying a great deal, or at least it was being deducted from my paycheck for my for my health insurance. And I, I thought, hey, I, I, you know, I must have great coverage because I'm paying so much. And, I, you know, when I was trying to find, OK, which which dentist is an in-network provider compared to an out-network provider? And I kept finding out-of-network providers and I the, the out-of-pocket cost was, of course, extremely high, um, you know, three hundred, four hundred dollars. And then. When I kept calling around, I, I finally found an in-network provider and I just, you know, yay, you know, all right, <laughs> high fives all around. All right. So how much is the out-of-pocket cost for this? 300 to $400. Like, wait a minute. It's the same. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like, hey, when I win, I lose, you know? Yeah. So that, that's been, that was my, my little uh, bad experience, I guess you could say, uh, with uh, my, my health insurance. Yeah. I mean, our, our, our philosophy has, has been for a long period of time that, that the best health insurance on the planet is good health. But again, going back to our discussion regarding cure versus prevention, both take time, both take an investment of effort, both take an investment of, of, of financial resources. The difference is, what is the long game outcome? That's the big difference. Oh, certainly, certainly. Yeah, it's uh, re reading into it because when when you uh, mentioned it in the email, I, I looked like the Bermuda Triangle of Modern Medicine. That's, <laughs> what is it? That, that's a really good question. What is it? <laughs> well, I'm glad that you found that, uh, that. I'm glad that that piqued your curiosity because that is the subtitle of my next book. So. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, well, I'll, uh, I'll definitely have to look for it and, and pick it up. And uh, yeah, because I've been <laughs> mostly rocking uh, audio books, but I've been trying to get back into just picking up hard, hardback and you know, paper copies, that sort of thing. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Oh, that's that's uh, that, that's fascinating. So now, I guess just to to, to sort of wrap, wrap things up, sure. Um, there was something that you mentioned about um, symptom uh, suppression or cause identification. Yeah. Now, you know, can you can you uh, can you touch on that and and, and uh, speak in in terms that us normal folks that have just business degrees uh, can, can understand? You bet. Symptom suppression is, again, the primary approach 
of modern medicine's uh, pharmace uh, pharmaceutical model, okay? Uh, if you have a headache, you must have an aspirin deficiency. If you have allergies, you definitely have a Claritin deficiency. If you can't sleep, you are missing uh, some level of deficiency of Ambien. So that seems to be, uh, you know, the, the mindset. Whereas when you're looking for the cause, from a clinical perspective, and I mentioned earlier that we do a, you know, a non-invasive neurological exam, this exam brings on display the answer to three questions. And if you don't have the answer to these three questions in a healthcare setting, you do not have a solution, you have a Band-Aid. Symptom suppression is Band-Aid and you know, causal identification is going to re reveal the solutions. So where's the stress in the body? What's causing it and how to clear it? So we look for the top five uh, stressors that we know are present with most people when they first come to us. Number one, food sensitivities. You show me somebody who wakes up with chronic phlegm, congestion, sinus drainage uh, on a regular basis, and they've probably been told they have allergies. The reality of it is they're consuming a food their body can't tolerate as well as it maybe once could. We need to identify that food, practice some increased enzyme support and avoidance of that food for about 90 days. That's that one stressor. Now they may also have an immune weakness. Well, what could the weakness in the immune system be for? Viruses, bacteria, funguses, and parasites. We have a neurological evaluation tool which allows us to identify, is there chronic concern and underlying weakness in the immune system? When you correct the immune system's weakness, the symptoms, symptoms go away, i.e., chronic, recurrent, non-resolving, bacterial, viral, fungal, or parasitic infections. The, the, para the pathology is not to be blamed in any case, on any level, at any time. The environment and the condition of the body and its immune system, that is the weakness. The pathology is just opportunistic. It's looking for a place to hang out. And so that's the second stressor. The third and fourth kind of go hand in hand. In fact, the EPA did a report some years ago listing this as one of the third leading causes of ill health in our country, and that's environmental uh, chemicals and metals that get to toxic levels in the body. And there's very non-invasive ways of checking for that. Uh, analytical labs out of Phoenix, Arizona, you can send them a hair analysis, and for $100, uh, you get a complete detailed report on not only the nutrition you should take, but the food you should consume to position yourself to get over it. Whether it's high copper, mercury, arsenic, lead, okay? These things can be detected in a very simple uh, scientific-based hair analysis. The fifth one is scars, scar tissue on the body, topical scars. This is a fascinating one that can create a neurological disruption of energy flow in the body. If you, if you think of what a capacitor does in an electrical system, and there's electrical current that runs into or is absorbed by a capacitor, and then it's released back into the system. Well, with a mechanical, uh, you know, the flow of how I, my iPad works and, and the flow of that energy, uh, there may be something in there that's similar to a capacitor that stops and regulates the flow of energy. But when it happens in the human body, uh, 
because we're an organic unit running on electricity, it can create some very deep neurological disruptions that allow other systems like heart, thyroid, mitochondria, uh, production at the cellular level, maybe even brain function, cognitive uh, uh, performance to decline. And so these are the top five stressors. There's 13 more uh, I won't bore your listeners with today, but there's, uh, from a clinical perspective, we have to be able to identify those causal pathways that are causing the symptom. Modern medicine is not interested in that. They're interested in the symptom. It must be a standalone thing. It has its standalone procedure, standalone drug next. And, and traditional care versus modern medicine, traditional care says, wait, let's see if we can identify what's causing this. Where is the stress? What's causing it? And how can we naturally in a non-invasive way position the body to clear that? Um, is it maybe slower in some cases? Absolutely. Um, I don't have an herb in my building that'll stop a heart attack faster than nitroglycerin, okay? Um, I just don't know that if anybody that wants to make a steady diet out of nitroglycerin to protect their cardiovascular system, but if we consume good quality therapeutic levels of cayenne pepper on a regular basis, it can actually, over time, restore, rebuild, and repair the cardiovascular system. And that's also been proven scientifically. So I know that's kind of a wordy, lengthy approach to, to you know, kind of wrapping up here, but there's the difference between symptom suppression approaches versus, you know, identifying a causal a causal uh, pattern uh, and positioning the body to do what it knows how to do, which is to be well. Yeah. And it, and it sounds like, you know, it's essentially a uh, evidence-based approach to identifying uh, a core issue or core issues and, and resolving yes. those issues. So yes. that, that, that's, that's the big thing that I'm getting from it. Yes, absolutely. We have people come here from all over the country who have already been, diagnosed Cleveland Clinic, Mayo Clinic, um, and been diagnosed with this is what you have. And they take a series of symptoms and then they attach a fancy name to it. Arthritis. Okay. Well, what is arthritis? Well, that's joint inflammation. Okay. So what's causing the inflammation to accumulate in a joint? That's a fair question. And the modern approach looks at you and says, well, we don't know but you have arthritis and here's the medication for it. And we know from our experience, an evidence-based approach, uh, we'll have people that come here, they're diagnosed with the thing, I call it. And whatever the thing is, there's something causing that thing. And let's go to work on exploring and uncovering and asking questions about where that stress is, what's causing it, how to clear it, and then begin a journey of restoration. Uh, it's never perfect, but it's much better um, you know, we have about a 90% success rate in every case that we've accepted the last 14 years. And uh, so we're very pleased with that. And we're proud of that. Uh, and these people don't have to, you know, we might see them once a quarter for a five minute, 10 minute, 15 minute checkup, just to make sure that they're staying true to their new disciplines, you know, and that they're not recreating the problem. So. Wow. That's, that, that's, that's amazing stuff. So I, the, the big thing, for all you listeners out there is just, you know, make sure that you're, you're curious and, you know, there's no excuse 
for, I mean, we live in the digital age. We all have our super iPhone 20 Galaxy Note whatevers, <laughs> you know, a wealth of knowledge at, literally at our fingertips. You know, the, the information is there. You, you just have to be curious. You have to have a, a bit of a hunger, you know, and, and you have to look at just the things that you gain, you know, from, from having just that, that positive health and, and uh, altering that mindset, you know, so uh Dan Young, I appreciate you coming on here. And, you know, I, I know we can we can go on and on for uh, uh, for an eternity. <laughs> and I'm sure we'll get some other opportunities in the future to maybe talk about a few other uh, topics within this realm. Sure. Yeah, I'd be more than happy to. Thank you for the for the time. I appreciate it. Yep. Now, for the listeners, you know, if you want to go ahead and do a plug for your uh, for your podcast, just if they have any specific questions where they can reach you. You know, the best way to reach us is uh, my uh, my podcast. If you want to kind of check out some of our past uh, topic driven and, and also uh, other practitioners we've interviewed over the years, it's the Total Wellness Radio Podcast. It's on all the major platforms, uh, Anchor being my, uh, my home platform where I do all of my recording and then I uh, let it shoot out to the world for me. Um, our website is the... Uh, countrydoctornutritionalcenter.com and um, you know would love to have you you're certainly welcome to make inquiries uh, and you can pick up my book there if you'd like uh, and uh, yeah we're just we're we're a resource and, and one of the final things I'd like to say is you know we work with practitioners around the country we have 12 different practitioners now uh, we started a nationally accredited program for folks who want to go into nutritional therapeutics and, and develop in their communities uh, the, a, the approach that we use uh, as their own independent business. It's not a franchise and I don't get a piece of the action or anything like that, but we are providing an education platform that's accredited uh, with a couple of national organizations for practitioners who have a passion and want to, uh, to pursue a career, whether you know, part-time or full-time, in uh, providing what we do in their communities and help people, uh, you know, uh, through curiosity and discovery, find, you know, maybe some better options that they can uh, implement along with their, their current healthcare approach. Outstanding. And, and I'll be looking for your uh, Bermuda Triangle uh, book. Uh, once that comes out, I'll, I'll definitely pick that up and uh, take a look at it. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. Uh, you know, Sir Thomas, this was a lot of fun. I really appreciate uh, spending time having a meaningful conversation, not a debate and not an argument, uh, but a meaningful conversation about a topic that affects us all. Mm -hmm. And and that's and that's the that's the the big word there. You know, meaningful. You know, it's not it's not a battle or you know it's not a war. And, and even if we disagree on, on something in, in the future, hey, it's long as it's just meaningful, civil discussion, you know, throwing ideas out there, factually driven. Hey, you know, you can't go wrong there. Absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate what you're doing. Please keep it up. I like your podcast. I certainly will. And you you have a great weekend. We should, should have some decent weather out there, I would think. I plan on riding a motorcycle and I hope that I, the, the outcome is I will not need modern medicine. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have a, have a great weekend. Uh, we'll talk again soon. Okay. Take care. Thank you. Yep. Still Nation out.